Very good morning to you. Can I bid you all welcome to Brighton Road Baptist Church this Sunday morning for a communion service. Thank you for joining together with us here in God's presence. A very warm welcome as well to those of you who are joining us online. May you know the presence and the peace of Christ with you wherever you are. Um, just an apology, the bulletin is advertising a newcomer's tea this afternoon, which is not taking place. If you're a visitor, please don't take that personally. That's a sign of disorganisation on our part, rather than a, we don't want to welcome you. We will get round to holding a newcomer's tea at some point. This afternoon at five o'clock in the Human Nature Garden in Horsham Park, um, Kingdom Faith are hosting a Horsham Churches Together celebration, and you're all very welcome to attend that. If you want to turn up at four o'clock and bring your own picnic, then others will be doing that as well. Can we just spend a moment in quiet to prepare our hearts for worship, and then we'll use the words of Psalm 108 to uh, focus our hearts and our minds on God. Can I invite you to join together in the words in yellow? My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make music with all my soul. Awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. We're going to sing two or three songs together. Can I invite you to, to stand and we'll join together in singing, Sing to the Lord. Oh, sorry, there's words I left out. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory be over all the earth. Now we'll stand and sing. Sing to the Lord with all of your heart.
to express the way in which God is exalted. You might wish to stand and, and lift your arms on high as an expression of the lifting God on high. You might want to sit down or even kneel, making yourself small, just expressing how great God is compared to you. But as we sing this again, can I invite you to express praise, the exaltation of God by your bodily stance, standing, kneeling, sitting, just praying, but let's give expression to the greatness of God as we sing this again together. there is no name higher than your name there is no one more exalted than you and we thank you that we can lift your name and exalt you in our praise and we do so Lord because you loved us enough to come from the highest place to the lowest place place of humiliation and degradation and suffering and death and you came there to us in our depths and for us to claim us to redeem us to save us to lift us up with you and to seat us alongside you in the heavenly places. So if we find ourselves in the depths this morning, may we know your strong arm keeping hold of us. Would you lift us out of darkness into light? Open our eyes again to your love, your faithfulness, your goodness, your salvation. And as we see you for who you are as you are, Lord, we exalt you and praise you, lifting high the name of Jesus, the only name given under heaven by which we can be saved. We bless you. Amen.
Do please be seated. Turning our minds to earthly things for a moment or two, can I ask, who here loves grapes? Some, okay. There is a table with some grapes on over there. There is a choice of white, red or black grapes. If you love grapes, can I invite you just to go and choose a grape and enjoy it and eat it. If you are a child, uh, please have parental supervision or permission to go and do so. But if you are aged 18 or over, you are free to go and do so. Or if you're here without parents and you're going to have a grape, please do so. I'm going I'm to lead the way. I'm going to have one, just to, otherwise we'll sit here and no one will move first. So I shall move first. Grapes are amazing. I seem to remember reading sometimes they're superfoods, they're delicious, and they're good for you as well. So do please feel free, help yourselves. All of us who are having a grape and enjoying a grape have chosen a grape simply because we love grapes. We're thinking this morning about the message that Paul shared with the church at Thessalonica when he said to them, God loves you and he has chosen you. In actual fact, just, we, just as we've chosen the grape because we love grapes, God chooses his people because he loves his people. And it's one of the mysteries that it's hard to get your head around a paradox that God can call us and choose us and, and give us the ability we need to respond to him so that he chooses us simply because he loves us of his own free will and we respond to him in response to his sovereign calling with our own free will and paradoxically there's no conflict there. God loves us and calls us and chooses us and we respond freely to his grace when we put our trust in him. So Paul was saying to the church in Thessalonica, God loves you, he has chosen you. And I want to say to you this morning, the Baptist church in Bright Road, God loves you, he has chosen you in Christ. Let me invite you to respond to that. If we change the pronouns, but grammar there, okay, from the second person plural to the first person plural object pronoun, <laughs> and can I invite you to say together with me, God loves us, he's chosen us. Let's say it together. God loves us, he has chosen us. Let's make it just a bit more personal. from the first person plural to the first person singular. God loves me. He's chosen me. And that, that's, I know there's something about saying that, that, that has to mean something. You can join with other people and just, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll just join in with everybody else. But in your heart, can you say this morning, God loves me, he's chosen me. And there's a sense in which if you do that, however old or however young you are, however long you've been coming to church, or you've just been coming to church for a couple of weeks, if you say that, you make it real. Because you embrace it, and you accept it, and you make it personal, and you recognise God's love in Christ is for you. 
And if you recognise that God's love in Christ is for you, then in that recognition is the recognition that he's chosen you as well. So I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud, because people will hear, and they'll hear if you're not saying it. But just in your heart, in a moment of quiet, can I invite you to whisper in your mind, if it's true for you, God loves me. He's chosen me. And let's sing together, Lord, you are the author of my life. After we sung this, I invite children to go upstairs to BRBK. Thank you. After we...
Do please sit down. And our reading is taken from 2 Peter chapter 1, not chapter 2, as it is on the handout. My apologies if you have the other reading. That's my fault, but Marion's going to bring our first reading to us. Thank you. So, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is short-sighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Can I lead you in prayer? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the way which you have called your people to yourself across the ages. You've called people from different walks of life and we've come together at different times in different ways and in different places to be your people, to be called by your name. For that immense privilege in calling us and choosing us. We thank you. And thank you that you bring together the most unlikely selection of people, different races, different cultures, different characters, different gifts, all incorporated within the body of Christ, each person finding their place, belonging, united to you and to each other. Thank you that in all our diversity we find our unity in you. Because you call us and acknowledge us as your own. So thank you that you've called us here this morning. With our different outlooks, our contrasting temperaments, our diverging backgrounds, 
our range of experience. And together we are your church, the body of Christ, in this place. And Lord, would you teach us and reassure us that whoever we are, you can use us because you use anyone and everyone for your kingdom. You give your spirit without measure. Help us to be fruitful in your service as we offer our lives to you. Help us to work effectively alongside each other. Help us to accept each other and ourselves as you accept and welcome us. Take us and use us just as we are, just who we are, in the common cause of your kingdom, demonstrating your transforming love, looking for, praying for, and working towards your coming kingdom, we pray. In us, through us, if necessary, in spite of us, may your kingdom come. And your will be done. And as we look around our world this morning, our hearts are stirred to pray for the coming of your kingdom. To Morocco. In the tragic aftermath of that disastrous earthquake. Into the lives of those who are bereaved, injured, rendered homeless. May your kingdom of healing come. For those seeking to rescue people who are still trapped, may your spirit enable them. For those seeking to coordinate rescue efforts, Lord, preside over those. Guide and direct and may resources be used effectively and well, we pray. We lift the victims of that tragedy to you. And in our own land, as we look around, we pray for the coming of your kingdom into our schools and colleges and universities, into our health service, into our justice system, into our government, national and local, <coughs> into our community here in Horsham. In this church, would you manifest your kingdom? In our hearts and in our lives and in how we live this week, May we be people of your kingdom, honouring you and serving you in all that we do and say and in how we do and say it for the glory of your name. Amen. Can I invite you to stand and we'll sing together, O oh, the mercy of God.
the glory of grace. Be seated. (coughs) 
On Sundays through the autumn, we're working our way through Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, thinking about how uh, these were the, when, when Paul came to Thessalonica, they complained, these are the people who've turned the world upside down, and they're coming to us, just reflecting on what it means to be countercultural as God's people. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, we read these words. We know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he's chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. At some point in our lives, it's likely we're going to ask ourselves some big existential questions. Is my life important? Do I matter? Am I worth loving? Can I ever be forgiven for the things I've done? Is there life after death? Is there a God? These are arguably some of the most searching and significant questions we can ask ourselves. They probe the essence of our identity, of what it means to be human, of the meaning and purpose of life. These questions matter because we want, we need to know that we're significant. We need to know that we count, that we're worth something. Do we matter at all? If we're just the insignificant byproducts of a random evolutionary process, then what's the point of anything? Instinctively, we want to shy away from that. We want to say, my life must have some meaning or purpose or significance. If I'm just a fluke of nature, then why am I asking myself these questions in the first place? Where does that consciousness, that self-awareness come from? No, I know that many people asking those questions today don't look to the church for answers, and they certainly don't expect to find them in a 2,000-year-old book. That's not the place where most people look for the meaning of life. But in the Bible, we read how a man called Paul visited a town called Thessalonica and shared some good news with them that blew their minds and turned their lives around. And the thing is, the message that he preached hasn't passed its sell-by date. The good news is still valid, it's still powerful, it's still life-changing. And the good news of Jesus Christ opens those five questions that I asked with a clear, resounding yes. And that's what makes Paul's message to us good news today. Is my life important? Yes, it is. Am I worth loving? Yes, you are. Can I ever be forgiven for the things I've done? Yes, in Christ you most certainly can. Is there life after death? Yes, Jesus makes that clear. Is there a God? Yes, Jesus makes him known. The big questions all get a yes in Jesus. And the good news is this, the God whose existence you may doubt from time to time is real. And he's shown this by coming into this world in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who was crucified and who rose again from the dead, thereby demonstrating that there is life after death. 
And when he died, you took upon himself the guilt for all the wrong you've done in your lifetime, giving you an opportunity to forgive yourself as God generously and freely forgives you through his son, Jesus Christ. You are worth loving because God gave his son for you. Because he loves you, to redeem you, to claim you as his own. You exist because he created you in love and in the discovery of his will and purpose for your life, you can realise just how significant you are, just how much your life matters in the sight of God. And that's a message that's been changing people's lives for 2,000 years and it's still changing lives today. Could change yours today if you embrace it. God loves me. He's chosen me. It was the message Paul shared with the inhabitants of Thessalonica when he visited their town. Some greeted his words with hostility, others with scepticism, others with indifference. But some believed him. And as they embraced his words, they found that God filled their lives with his power, with the presence of the Holy Spirit and with a sense of complete confidence and assurance. They found that the God whose existence they doubted, questioned and denied was real. And he'd made himself known to them and had chosen them and had shown them how much he loved them because the God who made himself known to the world through Jesus Christ is not some philosophical abstraction, but it's a God who's made himself known to us as a deeply personal, loving, relational creator who's given himself to us in his son. So writing to the few Christians in that town maybe no more than just a few weeks after his visit, Paul reminds them of how the message of the good news came to them, not in words alone, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Why in power? Because as Paul was to put it many years later, he wasn't ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it was the power of God for the salvation of anyone who responded with faith no matter what their nationality or their background. In the good news of Jesus, our weakness, our mortality, our frailty, our sinfulness, are redeemed and transformed by the power of God in the good news of Jesus Christ. There is no one so lost that God's power cannot save you. And that power was shown when God raised Jesus from the grave. It is a power that is stronger than death itself. And it is that power that can grasp you and bring you out of death into life here and now. And if you're dying on the inside... It's the good news of Jesus that can bring life to your soul. And where you've lost control of your life because of wrong decisions you've made in the past or things that have happened to you, it is the power of God that can rescue you from whatever forces might be driving you down the road to destruction. 
It's the power of God and the good news of Jesus that gets your life back on track again. Redeems you from whatever is robbing you of your capacity to live life as you should. It's that power to change who you've become and reshape and remould you back into being the person you were always meant to be. It's the power of God that can recreate the image of God in your life that's been defaced and damaged over the years. To make your life something worth celebrating again. You might feel such a thing is impossible. Humanly speaking, maybe it's not. But it's not beyond the power of God to redeem and reinstate your life. And if that power works to turn our lives around here and now, it's that same power that will bring you through death into life when your mortal life comes to an end. And what will heaven be like? Who knows? None of us has ever been. But I like C.S. Lewis's idea that it's a perfect and altogether more real version of this world. It will be like absolutely what this life should be like because all the limitations and hurts and failings and sinfulness of this world will be stripped away. And in a perfect relationship with God and with others, you will find your real self, the person God created you to be, flourishing for eternity. That's probably as far down the road of speculation as I'm prepared to go. Might be inappropriate to say any more. But I'm sure that when we get to heaven, it will be glorious. And it will be worth the, the hassles and the struggles and the fights of this life. Let me leave you with three things on the subject of life after death. Firstly, death is not the end. The life to come is going to be absolutely brilliant. Secondly, Jesus is the only way to get there. Because that's why he died and rose again. To, break, to bring you safe and sound, whole and very much alive on the other side. And that was the power the Thessalonians encountered when Paul preached the gospel to them. And that power has the same power today to bring you through death into life if you put your life in Jesus Christ, he will keep you safe when the moment comes for you to die. So Paul's words came to them with power. They also found that his words came to them in the Holy Spirit. That may well mean that his preaching to them was accompanied by miracles. Writing to the Christians in Rome, Paul would tell them about how he had fulfilled the ministry of the good news of Jesus Christ bringing people to submit to the authority of Christ as God worked through him in the power of signs and wonders and the power of the Holy Spirit. When Paul preached, God worked miracles. Wonders, signs, amazing things happened. Yet it was also true to say that it was the Holy Spirit who made the good news of Jesus true in people's experience. The message wasn't just something that they believed intellectually. Yeah, okay, I can, I can grasp that in my mind. It was something they felt. Something that they lived. Something they experienced. The power of God, not an abstract thing out there, but the power of God in here. 
And again, Paul talks in Romans about God pouring out his love into people's hearts by the Holy Spirit he's given to them. Love that's personal, life-changing, real. He talks about them having a sense in their heart of being God's beloved children so that by the Spirit they recognise God as their loving Father and cry out to him calling Abba, Father, Dad. The Spirit creating that sense of personal intimacy with God. The Spirit too giving them righteousness, peace, joy, filling their lives with patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, changing who they were and how they lived. The power of God overcoming their innate selfishness. They found themselves lifted out of despair and abounding in hope through the Holy Spirit, despite everything stacked against them. They had hope because they knew God was with them. And by the Holy Spirit, sinful people that they were, they shared in the holiness of God. Set apart to belong to God as God's chosen people. And by the Spirit, they were empowered to declare, Jesus is Lord. And to say those not as empty words, but a declaration of allegiance, nailing their colours to the mast, living that out in practice. Jesus is Lord of who I am, what I do, and how I live. And that's a life-changing declaration to make. And they opened their hearts up to the truth of the gospel, the good news that Paul proclaimed, and they opened their hearts as well to welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit, having Christ himself living in their hearts by faith. The Spirit governing their hearts and filling them with life and peace. Subjectively, I've got to say this, if you want to feel good, then the Holy Spirit is the best tonic that there is. And he comes without hangovers or withdrawal symptoms after you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's simply a matter of embracing the reality of who God is and what he's done for you in Christ and welcoming his presence into your life. That's what the Holy Spirit, Spirit did as the Thessalonians heard Paul's message. It came to them with power and with the Holy Spirit. They welcomed it, they embraced it, and Paul thanked God for that every time he prayed for them. His words came in power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction, full assurance, complete confidence. It's the kind of faith that Paul says that Abraham had when he was fully convinced that God was going to give him a son, despite the fact that he was 100 years old at the time and his wife had never been able to conceive. That was the kind of faith Abraham had. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, Paul wrote, and he was fully convinced that God was able to keep his promise. Well, I stand alongside Abraham, and I'm not sure I've got that kind of faith. Some of us might even be inclined to regard such religious certitude with a degree of concern. Religious fanatics who never stop to question their convictions can be extremely dangerous people. 
But the word Paul uses here has, like all words, a semantic range of meaning, ranging from complete confidence to full assurance, all the way up to absolute certainty. And to be honest, I'd be happy to say I'm confident about my faith. I'm sure about it. Absolute certainty. Well, most of the time, if not all the time, that eludes me. But then I'm not absolutely certain about very much at all, really. But for all that, I don't feel like a failure because I haven't got the kind of faith that Abraham had. Nor should you be if you're in the same boat as me. And the reason why I prefer confidence to certainty is that confidence is a more relational term. We might feel absolutely certain that something is true, but we place our complete confidence in somebody else. And faith is less about believing with all your heart and mind that something is real. It's more about putting all your trust in God and having complete confidence in him and his faithfulness and his goodness and his love. Faith is not about giving abstract intellectual assent to something, believing six impossible things before breakfast. It is about believing, trusting that God is utterly faithful, that he keeps his word, that he can be trusted. So when the Thessalonians believe the good news that Paul proclaimed to them, that involved them putting their trust in Christ and having complete confidence in Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who takes the same message that turned the lives of people in Thessalonica around 2,000 years ago and makes that message real, true and life-changing today and God calls you to himself. And God enables you to reach out and put your trust in Christ and give your life to him. And what do you trust Christ for? That he's the one who can sort your life out and get you back on track again. That he's the one who can forgive your past and enable you to forgive yourself and live with yourself after everything that's happened. That he's the one who shows you what God is really like. That he's the one who will be there to meet you when the moment comes for you to die and he will bring you safely through death out into eternal life the other side. That he's the one who loves you, who will never let you down, never let you go. He's chosen you and you discover your true and full identity and the confidence that comes from knowing him as your saviour and lord. Jesus is the one who gives you that positive answer to all life's big existential questions. Yes. 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 One last question. Is he the one you will put your trust in? today.
We're going to celebrate communion together in a moment. Sometimes just eating the bread and drinking the wine can be a way of saying, without words, Lord, I trust you. I acknowledge you to be my saviour. I acknowledge you to be my Lord. You've given your life to me. I give my life to you. And maybe you can express that faith and commitment without words as you share in the bread and wine of communion. But first we're going to sing together, love is his word. Love is his way.
obviously too. The love of Christ welcomes us all to his table. It's communion where we express our unity with Christ and with each other. That's why it's at the Lord's table. We welcome people into membership with us. Delighted that we're welcoming Avril into membership with us this morning. Bless you, Avril. Do you want to come and share a little bit about your story with us now? Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Right, just a glimpse into who I am and a very small window into my life. I was actually born at the beginning of the Second World War uh, and, uh, and lived then uh, just off the old Kent Road in London. Although I can barely remember my mother as she died when my sister and I were very young, it must have been she who first told me that God was in heaven and that he loved and he cared for me. As a little girl, I still remember I used to talk to this special person in heaven that I couldn't see, but I always believed he was there with me and this feeling has never gone. In my late teens, I met and married Michael, who was an incredibly kind and loving man. And I thank the Lord for my happy marriage of 45 years and our three lovely daughters. While our girls were young, we used to have lived with us young Muslim children from various countries in the Middle East. They had come to the UK, some for safety reasons, and others to learn English and the English way of life. Just put my glasses on, it won't be it's better, that's clearer. One of these little ones came to us from the Yemen when she was just six years old. And she stayed for many years. And I think of her as my fourth daughter, and we love her dearly. She now lives permanently in Tunbridge Wells with her own family. In the 80s, my husband took early retirement from Times newspapers, and we bought and ran a small 13-bedroomed hotel in the Garden Square in Brighton. It was jolly hard work, 24-7. And I didn't, at this time, manage to get to church very often. But I was always aware that my Lord was there watching and waiting for me. And I promised him that once we retired, I would find a church where we could worship regularly. So in about 1999, we retired to East Preston. I joined the WI and there met a lady who organized and ran a handbell group from St. Margaret's Church in Amarin, and I became one of the ringers. That first December, we rang for the WI carol service which was being held at the Amring Baptist Church. After the service, I was chatting to one of the deacons who invited me to go to the children's service the following week. This I did, and the week after, and the week after that, and found a warmth and fellowship there that was special. My husband and I both joined this lovely church, which at the time was in a period of integrum. However, one of the church's retired elderly ministers, by the name of Jim Wisewell, returned to temporarily care for his church. And it was this lovely, elderly, inspiring minister who baptised me in 2006. 
together with our then new Minister Michael Bradshaw. I came to live in Horsham about two years ago, having suffered a small heart attack, and now live with Susie and granddaughter Serena in a lovely new granny annex. I'm really happy that once we were no longer wearing face masks, I walked through the doors here into this lovely church and found a very friendly and warm welcome. Thank you all. We're delighted that you're coming into membership with us. Membership is not kind of some hidden clique in the centre of church. It is those who feel called uh, to serve Christ as part of this church, to use their gifts to work alongside us, to commit to working and praying and being part of the church and supporting its work financially and in terms of service. So, Ever, we're delighted you're, you're here. Membership is open to anyone who believes and trusts in Christ as Lord and Saviour and feels this is the place where God has called them to be. So if that fits you, come and have a chat with me about membership afterwards. Avril, I'm going to ask you some questions, if that's all right. Um, do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, having found new life in him? I do. Okay, lovely, thank you. And do you believe in one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit? And do you sense that God is calling you to love and serve Christ as part of this local Baptist church? And do you commit yourself in partnership with us, with us here to serve Christ in this church and in this community? I do. Fantastic, thank you. If you're a church member, can I invite you to stand, please? Can I ask you, do you welcome Avril as a sister in Christ into this local Baptist church? We do. And do you promise to love her, encourage her, support her, pray for her, and work alongside her in the months and years that lie ahead. We do. Then Avril, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, on behalf of this fellowship, gives me great joy to welcome you into membership with us. Thank you. Thank you. Can I invite you all to stand, please? Don't go away just yet. We're going to pray for you. <laughs> Let's pray. But we thank you for Avril, for the way which your hand has been upon her life, Ever since she, she was praying to you as a child, thank you that you've never left her, you've never forsaken her, you've always been there for her, you've always been there with her. Thank you for her for drawing us to this place, to become part of our family, to work alongside us here. And we pray for a fresh anointing of your spirit upon her, to know that she belongs to you, to know that you love her, to know that you've chosen her. To know that you will use her to be a blessing to this church, to her family here, and to the wider community. Lord, we welcome her as you have welcomed her. And we pray the blessing of your spirit upon her. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. Thank you. Do please sit down. And can I invite the deacons to join me at the front here, please? Thank you. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love him and to want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often. Those of you who have not been here for a long time. Those of you who have tried to follow and those of you who have failed. Come, not because it's I who invite you, it's our Lord. 
And it's his will that those who want him should meet him here. Let's hear the story of how this sacrament began. On the night when he was betrayed, Jesus sat at supper with his disciples. While they were eating, he took a piece of bread, said a blessing, broke it, and gave it to them with the words, This is my body. It's broken for you. Do this to remember me. And later he took a cup of wine, saying, This cup is God's new covenant, sealed with my blood. Drink from it, all of you, to remember me. So now, following Jesus' example and his command, we take this bread and this wine, the ordinary things of this world, which Christ has made special. And as he said a prayer before sharing, let me lead you in prayer now. Let's pray. Lord, we lift our hearts high to you with gratitude and praise. Because when we were nothing, you made us something. When we had no name and no faith and no future, you called us your children. When we lost our way or turned away, you did not abandon us. When we came back to you, your arms opened wide in welcome. And you've prepared this table for us, offering not just bread, not just wine, but your very self, that we may be filled, forgiven, healed, blessed, made new again. For us you were born, for us you healed, preached, taught and showed the way to heaven. For us you were crucified, for us after death you rose again. <coughs> Lord Jesus Christ, present with us now, for all that you've done and all that you've promised, what have we to offer? Our hands are empty. Our hearts are sometimes full of wrong things. We're not fit to gather up the crumbs from under your table. But with you is mercy and the power to change us. So as we do in this place what you did in an upstairs room, send down your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts of bread and wine that they may become for us your body, healing, forgiving, making us whole that we might become for you, your body, loving and caring in the world until your kingdom comes. Amen. And among friends gathered round the table, Jesus took bread. He broke it and said, this is my body. It's broken for you. <coughs> and later he took the cup of wine and said, this is the new relationship with God 
made possible because of my death. Take this, all of you, to remember me. So look, here is your Lord coming to you in bread and wine. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Christ has given himself to you and for you. As you receive him in your heart, can I invite you to receive the bread and eat it as an expression of your faith and trust in him as Lord and Saviour. All are welcome to do so if you're seeking to put whatever faith you have in Christ today. The body of Christ given for you. We eat the bread as we receive it. As we receive the cup which represents the blood of the covenant, come and invite you to retain it so that we can drink together as a sign of our fellowship in Christ.
Christ gave his life for you. Christ gives his life to you. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus Christ, you put your life into our hands. Now we put our lives into yours. Take us. Renew and remake us. What we have been is past. What we shall be through you still awaits us. So lead us on. Take us with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can I invite you to stand and we'll sing together our closing song, Love Before the Dawn of Time.
can I invite you to share together in the words of the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.